Welcome everyone to POV Crypto, the only podcast that both Bitcoiners and Ethereum listen to. I'm David Hoffman, here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how you doing? Doing amazing, man. I'm so thankful to be done traveling and so happy to be back in San Francisco for at least a little bit. Um, you guys, this is an absolutely fantastic episode with Kenny Rowe. Uh, the guy has been in crypto for a long time and is super, super fair. We take a really like kind of deep dive into uh, MakerDAO's governance and history and uh, what's going to happen into the future. Bitcoiners, I know this is not about Bitcoin, but I think that you guys are going to be really interested in learning a lot more about the ins and out of Maker and where it's going. Yeah, I really appreciated Kenny's perspective here, specifically about how um, blockchains are going to or, or not going to integrate themselves into the real world. Um, Bitcoin has the uh, the luxury of, of not caring about the real world and, and pulling the real world into it. Um, but certain certain entities on Ethereum, which some are called DAOs, are concerned with bridging the real world and the blockchain world. Uh, and that's kind of how Kenny... Um, uh, positioned uh, the Maker Foundation in his opinion, uh, and and I kind of agree. Uh, and so th- this topic is a little bit about um, Maker DAO versus the Maker Foundation and the roles and responsibilities of each, and how those have stitched together, and also how those have divided. Uh, and then we also get into the subject of uh, where what is the logical conclusion of that. And we mainly use MakerDAO as a model for talking about these sorts of things. Um, so really wide-ranging conversation. Kenny's a super smart guy. Again, he, he was in crypto in, in 2013 um, before Ethereum was even around uh, and then was also at MakerDAO from the very beginning. Um, but Ali, will let him talk about that more. Yeah, and before we forget, we can't start an episode without shouting out our fantastic sponsors, the Haven Privacy app. They recently passed 10,000 downloads, which was their goal before the end of October. So they they did it. Success and congrats to them. Um, but really, guys, this is a fantastic product. It has four different cryptocurrency wallets inside of it, and it allows you to use the power and leverage the power of cryptocurrencies and cryptography to actually engage in private and um, you know permissionless commerce. Uh, essentially, the open sort or the open bazaar protocol is something that Brian Hoffman and the OB1 team have been working on for a long time, and they pretty much used this and they built Haven on top of it. Uh, and really, Open Bazaar can uh, facilitate any sort of commerce, including cryptocurrency trading. But Haven, the app, is really optimized for um, e-commerce, and it's really optimized to be a user-friendly app that complies with Apple and Google, all that stuff. Uh, so it's a really nice way of viewing and utilizing Open Bazaar. And I hope you guys try it out. Again, like this is the kind of technology that becomes possible because of crypto, and this is why we're all here. Now that you guys know about the Haven app, our fantastic sponsors, uh, let's dive into the episode with Kenny Rowe. All right, guys, I'm here with Kenny Rowe. Kenny and I met at East Denver 2018. Uh, Kenny, you are an early, early blockchain participant and then uh, have your own story, but then uh, came to the world of MakerDAO. Mm -hmm. Um, If you would please kindly tell our audience all about your beginnings in the world of cryptocurrency. Sure, yeah. So um, I first became interested in uh, crypto back in uh, late 2012, maybe mid 2012. 
mostly from an e-commerce perspective. I was working um, here in Seattle in the e-commerce industry and uh, found Bitcoin and was immediately taken that, you know, if you had this sort of digital cash that you could transfer around on the, the internet without chargebacks, almost instant settlements, low transaction fees, without any fees per, uh, or low fees per transaction, much lower than like the, the Visa MasterCards of the world. So that's where I was first in, uh, sort of introduced into crypto, thought it might be good, uh, you know, something to use in my business and brought it up to some other folks in, in the corporation and they took one look at it and thought I was completely crazy, but I didn't think it was crazy and I continued to stick with it. And then later after the first, uh, or my first crash or boom cycle was in 2013 mm -hmm. when Bitcoin got, you know, to the exorbitant $1,200 mark, which was really, I thought was crazy at the time. But uh, after that, uh, around 2014, 2015 is when uh, I, I found Maker, which came out as a Reddit post called the E-Dollar, uh, for which Rune Christensen wrote. And again, it had a lot of uh, interesting things, for, or why it was interesting for me is because I saw some immediate applications for stable coins in commerce. So I liked all of those things about uh, Bitcoin, except it did have uh, price volatility. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, oh, well, if you had some way of getting a lot of those same benefits, but without price volatility, then we could really uh, use something for as a medium of exchange. So that's what kind of drew me in. So um, was, was the e-dollar the first... That was uh, the idea. The first idea of stability on a blockchain that no, you had come no, across? No. So Rune and a bunch of others had come out of the uh, BitShares community, mm -hmm. which was actually running kind of prototypes or proof of concepts of these things. Mm -hmm. They had sort of synthetic dollars and Chinese yuan and some of these other things, but they didn't they didn't hold their peg very well. But the basic mechanisms were still there. Mm -hmm. uh, that it was a collateralized, um, but it was always collateralized with the BitShares token itself, right. which... Mm -hmm. So Maker uh, drew some inspiration from that, but added a few additional um, innovations on it to mm -hmm. make it a bit more robust. And essentially what had happened is Maker having this idea very early on, even before Ethereum was launched, really, um, was one of the earliest projects out there. Mm -hmm. So you know some of the very first uh, projects was like Augur mm -hmm. and, and, and Maker. And we, uh, so an early group of probably 10 or so folks, including myself, got together every day on a, a kind of a status call at 1400 UTC every Sunday morning. And we hashed out what was going on in uh, the project, where we needed to go, how we were going to get there. And for you know a year or a year and a half, that was the sort of what we were doing. And then um, you know that, that progressed over, over time and eventually Ethereum became more and more prominent and um, launched for the first time, I think in, this is going to be December 2017 mm -hmm. is when Dai, um, in its current form, launched. Even though we were using um, single collateral Dai, which we called Psy, mm -hmm. internally for months before before then, and had the code finished probably you know eight to ten months before that. A um, lot of focus on security, as you might imagine. Mm -hmm. So that's where I came into the the blockchain space. Um, so spent a lot of time with Maker in the early days. Uh, transitioned later to working on some other projects here in Seattle, and now I'm currently uh, have a little uh, consulting company that I sort of take uh, sort of odd crypto jobs here and there <laughs> from time to time, sticking true to the to the gig economy of crypto. Yeah, yeah exactly. So when you and the 1400 UTC crew were all talking about um, what to do with MakerDAO, how much uh, 
how much conversation was there around what a DAO is or was or yeah. what the future of DAOs could be? Like what 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 did the future of DAOs look like back then? Sure. So that's that's a good question, right? Because mm -hmm. when we started, we used to say that these these were governance meetings, mm -hmm. similar to the, the the meetings that happen now. Mm -hmm. um, but there was this preamble that I would say in the beginning of the meetings that that we're here to simulate on chain governance. Mm. So that we had this always this notion that what we were doing in the beginning, you know, wasn't quote the real thing, or but it should at least weekly approximate what we were trying to do. Mm. And we never wanted to try to be fully decentralized immediately. Mm -hmm. So there was always this idea of, well, if we need to do something and it needs to get done, we'll do this in a sort of trusted fashion and we'll decentralize over time. Mm -hmm. um, in the beginning, in the very beginning, the, the, the money was held by just one multi-sig and that was the only thing that was on chain in terms of governance. Mm -hmm. And it slowly eventually um, got to the point where there were smart contracts doing governance and that there were larger groups of people giving input where MKR eventually came in to, to help make governance decisions. And it seems to be that um, that's been largely a good approach. Mm -hmm. and, and you see that sort of being adopted in other places where if you start, if you start fully decentralized, you better be right the first time. Right. Right, right. Uh, and if you're not quite sure what you're doing, then maybe you should take it a little bit slower. So if you can remember, can you kind of walk us through some of the things that started decentralized and then moved toward or started centralized and then moved towards a decentralized model? Sure. Yeah. So in the beginning, um, there really was no product, right? There's no die. There's no, no even MKR. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, so but we did have some uh, funds, mm -hmm. some private funds. And uh, there was... <laughs> some token sold on a like a forum to mm -hmm. that so there was some money to be spread out and to be used for you know whatever and all of those decisions were basically made by rough consensus by everybody in those mm -hmm. those meetings at the time um, there really wasn't um, a hierarchy really mm -hmm. and so like even though rune was the founder and we all sort of looked to him as the intellectual and sort of spiritual leader of the group he wasn't always um, the one making decisions mm -hmm. Uh, and eventually over time that sort of uh, morphed and changed more um, you know, specifically like on-chain governance as it evolved um, kind of changed the way those decisions were made. Mm -hmm. Kenny, how did, so you're kind of talking about this, uh, this crew that was simulating on-chain governance. Where did the Maker Foundation come out of that? Because that doesn't sound like uh, the Maker Foundation that uh, I'm familiar with. So yeah, the Maker Foundation essentially um, early on there. So there's always been this idea of what we we originally called the Dev Fund, which is the the unspent MKR. So a million MKR was created at the beginning, and some of it was was sold at the very early beginning, early days. But then there was always this large pool, and there was always this idea of well, what's going to happen with that over time, and how is that going to get managed. Right? And, we, and we knew this fairly early on that this was going to be, um, this, is, this was a problem that we was going to need to get solved. And eventually how it got solved was that uh, this Maker Foundation was created specifically to uh, manage and control the dev fund or the unspent MKR that was originally created, I think in maybe 2017 or whenever the token was created. It was one of the first ERC-20 tokens actually. Um, MKR was and it's actually gone through two iterations mm -hmm. um, but that's that's where it came about 
the the MKR. But we also used to refer to this foundation or the MK, the Maker Foundation, even before it existed, as a just sort of a, a framework, similar similar to the um, Ethereum Foundation, just because the Ethereum Foundation was sort of the original precedence. So that's where it came from. It, is essentially a, a legal body to own the own the the resources of the uh, well to to own MKR. So the foundation has uh, blown up. They are quickly became like one of the biggest companies or organizations in crypto. They have uh, I don't know how many employees, but it's a large number of employees. It's mm-hmm. more than I can keep track of. It's definitely bigger than Dunbar's number, at least. When we, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, and so, uh, which is pretty cool. That it's pretty cool that this entity can do that. Um, and that also brings into question like, how does the foundation have its relationship with? Uh, MakerDAO because there's the foundation and then there's MakerDAO and I think most of us in uh, like for example in the ETH Hub weekly newsletter it says like the MakerDAO releases this mm-hmm. when they're actually talking about the foundation so those lines are like super blurred and people are using like talking about MakerDAO when they're actually talking about the foundation and, and vice versa mm-hmm. um, so how as the foundation has progressed uh, have you seen what, what do you think the trajectory has been like? Can you kind of qualify the, the splitting of the DAO and um, the foundation mm-hmm. very well? Yeah. So, but also, me, give me, I'll give some further mm-hmm. personal context. Mm-hmm. So, I'm not employed by the foundation currently. Mm-hmm. I'm not involved with the um, Maker Foundation mm-hmm. really in any way other than I participate with the, the Maker ecosystem. Mm-hmm. You're, part, um, you're part of the DAO. Yeah, right, right. Mm-hmm. Yes, I am absolutely part of the DAO, um, and, and I'll talk about that specifically, but I want to be clear that I am uh, I can only give my own personal opinion here, mm-hmm. and the only information I have is that which everybody else has access right. to. I don't have sure. any insider information. Mm-hmm. Most of the people that I know don't are not employed by the foundation right. anymore. It, it's been a while since right. I've been a part of the, the group. but Kenny's here because he thinks about this stuff. I do, yes. <laughs> I, I do think about um, the DAO. Um, and I do think of them as, as separate things. And I think it's absolutely correct to think about them as one being uh, a far more traditional organization with legal standing and mm-hmm. employees and obligations and invoices and organization and all of those things. And then the DAO as being um, what a set of sticky smart contracts that lives on Ethereum. Mm-hmm. Um, similar to the way Ethereum itself is, is a DAO, mm-hmm. the, the, the protocol. Right. The way Bitcoin itself is a, pro- is, a, is a protocol, but it's also this DAO. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a decentralized autonomous organization. And what that means to me is not necessarily about how the people are structured, but um, sort of what... Um, kind of the inputs and the outputs. Mm-hmm. And usually what we're talking with is some sort of automation in a smart contracting system, but mm-hmm. not necessarily so, right? Because um, maybe Bitcoin has rudimentary scripts, but they're not exactly full-fledged um, Turing-complete machines, right. but it's still the same effect, mm-hmm. kind of these network effects. Um, so yeah, these the in, in the case of, of MakerDAO, it, it started out more of as is a one um, entity where there really wasn't much separation between how the thing was run, what mm-hmm. it was, and what we were trying to do mm-hmm. once some rudimentary contracts started showing up on the scene. And over time, though, those things, I think, um, they diverged, and I think rightly so, right? Because in order to do some of the things that um, you want to maybe do with a new emerging financial inst- uh, or financial tools, 
you're going to need to be able to eventually interact with the existing financial structure. Mm -hmm. And you can't do this in a completely anarchic way. You right. have to have something that plugs in, something that bridges into the existing ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what we're seeing with Maker. Whereas you, maybe you'd say Uniswap mm -hmm. is a much more pure version of what a DAO is mm -hmm. or a set of contracts interacting where people come and go and it's permissionless. And that's And Uniswap is never going to like connect to your bank account right right but if it did it would need something mm -hmm. like the foundation in order to make that happen mm -hmm. so where we are seeing these things diverge is maker the foundation is currently in my view working to grow the grow the DAO, mm -hmm. um, preserve the DAO, keep it healthy but also uh, plug it in to the existing financial system and so one of the early use cases that I've heard about uh, through MakerDAO, apart from providing uh, CDPs to people and apart from providing DAI, is um, TradeShift. And so TradeShift is this company that takes invoices for people that have manufacturers that have produced a product and then shipped it. Uh, and so they are owed this money. But the, uh, And I think this is much more relevant for the, the Eastern side of the world. But the purchasers, uh, these massive, much larger companies, really can take their time to pay um, the manufacturers for their goods. Mm -hmm. And it's really at the whim of whoever the payee is, payer, when they want to pay the payee. And so that can leave huge holes in somebody's balance books. Mm -hmm. And so the idea, the, the early trusted collateral type that I heard about, about Mike Dow was trade shift invoices where an amount was to be paid mm -hmm. and so that would allow a, a manufacturer to... Um, get value out of their sold goods that they have not yet been paid for. Mm -hmm. However, how do you do this on chain in a trustless fashion? Right. And I think that what you're saying is this is where the foundation steps in. Absolutely. Yeah. So in that particular instance, you could, you could imagine um, if you're talking about, let's say, a manufacturing hub in, in East Asia, well, you're going to have to ask, you're going to connect with the, 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 the regulation there mm -hmm. and then the regulation here. Mm -hmm. Assuming that here is meaning Western, you know, either United States or Europe where the paying is happening or something like that. Or what is the, um, what happens if there's default or all these other legal issues that are mm -hmm. going to need to get worked out but can, you know, sort of get worked out. Um, in order to make that happen, you'd need some intermediary, some structure in order to tokenize these. Right. To, to then make them available to other, you know, probably not just maker but other, you know, applications that might want to use them mm -hmm. um, and you could think about um, other types of collateral that would absolutely need this 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 kind of structure in order to um, to get onto a blockchain and you can really think about and I think in the beginning um, all of us at maker realized quite quickly that um, crypto assets mm -hmm. like pure crypto assets like Bitcoin and ethereum and all of those those are fantastic but they all and and for the sum anti-correlated to like real things or real economies <laughs> real things <laughs> real things um but they they all have somewhat similar uh, risks mm -hmm. involved mm -hmm. and if you're going to be diversifying your risk to make uh, the best product you can meaning the best stable coin that you can you need access to like real real world assets Stuff. like right. i mean digix was actually one of the, the ones that was mm -hmm. first thought of as a collateral type too but in that same sense you need somebody with gold in a vault right. someplace. Right. And you need to trust that if you showed up to Singapore, mm -hmm. that there'd be gold in that vault right. or that you could at least get it. Right. 
Um, and that might not be true if you didn't, mm-hmm. or I should say, if you tried to do that in some other decentralized permissionless fashion, you're going to have to add a lot more complexity, sure. which would take just far longer. Maybe we'll get there mm-hmm. in 10 years when blockchains are more standard than they are novel. But mm-hmm. at the moment, yeah, you definitely need something to make that happen. Right. I'm not going to lie. I am extremely bearish on real world things on the blockchains and on a blockchain and then using that in any meaningfully uncensorable way. Like, I really don't think that that is something that is possible. I think that unless the organizations custodying these assets are, you know, kind of playing like Bitfinex and really trying to uh, take advantage of regulatory arbitrage and geographical arbitrage in order to evade enforcement, like, that's going to be a massive hole. Uh, Do you think that that is a non-starter for maker if you know these assets start becoming a, a massive part of the collateral uh, basket no in fact i i think that's actually the heart of the issue that we're talking about mm-hmm. um so the so i think the key thing you mentioned there christian is i don't think it's possible to do this i guess maybe i'm paraphrasing trustlessly right uh, or to bring assets on and that is absolutely true there's no doubt and i don't think there's any doubt that that's not true the um what is happening, I believe, currently now with some of the systems that we're building in, in, in the blockchain space is that trade-offs are going to be, have to be made in order to scale. And this is true at the base level. Um, that you can't always get everything you want. Um, but that's also going to be true in some of these other places. So that if you have um, some points are going to be so, what, what you might call trustless in the sense of you're not going to have necessarily any kind of KYC requirements or things like of that nature to own die, mm-hmm. you will absolutely have regulation at the point of collateral. And, and I don't think that anybody is making anybody, any, any assumptions that, that that's not what's happening like right now, in fact. Um, and that some of these assets are going to be very useful if, if they are regulated actually, mm-hmm. because you're going to be able to get larger scale and larger, um, with just larger amounts of collateral. Kenny, if someone won, and let's say that this kind of multi-collateral feature uh, happens and uh, there are a lot of you know, tokenized things plugged into the MakerDAO system, could someone theoretically still use Ether explicitly and use MakerDAO trustlessly? Or would they be subject to kind of like the other criteria that uh, the other tokens or assets uh, are subject to? So absolutely, yes, with the qualifying statement that uh, as the contracts exist currently, and what I mean by that is if MakerDAO becomes a new set of smart contracts, I, I can't tell you what those new smart contracts will or may or what they would do, um, but I do know that necessarily that the transition from where we are now to where that is would have to go through some sort of governance vote because mm-hmm. that's what's currently in place so i don't i, I can't i don't know about the future but right now absolutely uh, well actually ether is the is the only thing right uh, mm-hmm. it's the only thing you can use so it's as as open and trustless as ether is you will always have that option and likely um to the extent that we have interoperability between different chains you will have access to 
Bitcoin, I would assume, and other right. other notable cryptocurrencies that aren't native to to Ethereum. So there's one thing I want to pin down that I I think I'm seeing some Bitcoiners talk about on Twitter, which I think may be a misrepresentation and perhaps a gross one. Uh, MakerDAO doesn't have any plans to like, or the MakerDAO Foundation or or written into the maybe the social contract. And again, this is going to be your opinion, but there's not ever going to be like a, in order to open up a CDP, please submit your uh, driver's license. Like there's not going to be KYC built into the foundation. What we're talking about is uh, assets that you might have needed to KYC to get uh, through a third party website. Like for example, my company Realty, Mm -hmm. you need to, in order to get our token, you have to come to our website and you need to uh, give us your ID before we issue you a token. Right. Maybe in the future, real tokens, which represent a, a property, a real estate, uh, can maybe they then be put into MakerDAO. Mm-hmm. But no one will have to ever KYC with the Maker Foundation or the MakerDAO code if they have real tokens, because they can just submit the approved collateral if MakerDAO does approve real tokens as collateral, submit them to um, the MakerDAO contract and pull out DAI as a loan against them without ever KYCing with MakerDAO. So KYC, KYCing and MakerDAO have like this firewall in between them. Is that correct? Uh, I, I assume so, and I think that's the common understanding. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing stopping that. Mm-hmm. So CDP is just a logic, right? Right. So if um, if by some process, either governance or otherwise, it is determined that adding some level of KYC or anti-money laundering Mm -hmm. to the creation of CDPs themselves, the smart contracts, that's certainly possible. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's likely because Mm -hmm. I I don't think that would be uh, beneficial. Now, I might say, though, um, that is the back end. Mm -hmm. The front end could be different. And the front end is is open in the Mm -hmm. sense of anyone can build, and people do. MKR Tools is a great example of community-led initiatives to create front-end tools for back-end systems. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, there, there could be a front-end requirement, just like Realty has, mm-hmm. and a website, to, to offer some level of KYC in order to access a user-friendly interface. And what I've seen currently in this space is that if you were to do that, that would be like mandating it at the protocol level, sure. just because the, nobody, um, very few people are going to interact with these kinds of car- at a, such a low level, mm-hmm. either through a command line or creating their own interface, that whoever c- does have interfaces can largely uh, create, you know, either artificial barriers that they want. Sure. So it could be that maybe the regulation is that that's required, mm-hmm. but then the community says no, we will never. That will never be required at the base level. We're just not going to compromise there. Mm-hmm. Then anybody who decides to build tools will either have to choose to make that. Well, that's they're going to be their decision mm-hmm. to make, mm-hmm. and maybe they're in a jurisdiction where. You know that's not a problem, mm-hmm. and then they don't have it, and mm-hmm. very similar to kind of what we see with exchanges, I think. Right. Uh, so that actually brings up a, another point that I really want to talk about. If I if I'm a maker holder, which I am, and I think that the uh, stability fee needs to be a lot higher, mm-hmm. I think the stability fee needs to be thirty percent. Right. Uh, right now, I can go on to the MakerDAO.com website and go to the governance portal, and there are uh, I think seven different options for me to choose from and they range from plus or minus four percent mm-hmm. uh this is not very dow like because this is something that the foundation has chosen in its interface um for offering a 
uh, it's offering proposals for MKR holders to choose. Mm -hmm. And so as an MKR holder who wants, who thinks that the stability fee should be 30%, I would need to go to the com command line interface in order to express my will. And so I think this is, it's an interesting uh, thing to talk about because if the Maker Foundation wasn't operational, well, then we would have no interface. But at the same time, they're also restricting our our autonomy as economic agents to achieve what we want. Mm -hmm. And so where do you think, again, going back to the divergence between DAO and foundation, like where do you think the foundation um, sees its responsibility with uh, providing full autonomy towards MKR holders? Well, I don't think they're under any obligation to provide full autonomy. That's mm. what the smart contracts do. Mm, that's fair. Um, and so I would I would describe the, the actions of the foundation currently as... Um, being on two, two different two different things. Mm -hmm. So yes, they are um, limiting your, let's say, your optionality. But mm -hmm. we also know from psychology that too many options mm -hmm. is just the same as giving you no options. Where it's right. very, it, it can yeah. be very detrimental, right? right? So the 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 foundation is currently, I, I would say, overall adding benefit because mm -hmm. they're they're creating a user interface that is clean, that is easy to read, that has very rational options and it's not that somebody somewhere like in the dark corner decided which you know those things it's, there's an open process for that to happen which mm -hmm. is also something you could do to participate you can show up to the meetings that are held on i think thursdays mm -hmm. and you can engage in that sort of very public discourse mm -hmm. about how uh, those options are are displayed and chosen and you know if, if it's really a, a of a big interest to you no, actually, I'd say command line or, or going down to the smart contract level is not the place you have the most uh, influence. In fact, it's probably your blog. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. So if you were to write a, a well-reasoned argument with mm -hmm. scientific rationale mm -hmm. that was well-placed and well-timed outside of even that existing governance structure, mm -hmm. I think that eventually people would pay attention and that it would make its way into some formal voting structure. Mm -hmm. Because somebody would read it, be inspired by it, and decide, uh, I can put up a simple interface to do this. Or you can literally go to Etherscan. Etherscan takes the ABI of the contract and actually puts it all in there for you. Mm -hmm. You know, you can do it on Etherscan kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, yeah, framing it as what is the con what is the foundation doing as the benefits that they're, that they're having and what are the consequences, probably the right way to think about it. And overall, I think they're doing a great job of... Uh, engaging as many different voices as possible from the outside world and incorporating that into a succinct package that people can sort of understand. So I would say that, um, would you say, so I, I like to have like this model of, of Reddit where popular things like perhaps my well-reasoned argument gets upvoted to the top and acknowledged. Mm -hmm. um, and in Reddit is kind of in a way this like decentralized organism, right? That yep. kind of perpetuates its own content. Um, when it comes to providing a an interface for managing the the backend code of MakerDAO, do you think that um, do you think that's good? There's going to be competition in interfaces that kind of allow this Dar Darwinism of um, DAO enabling behavior from you know just hobbyists or you know not foundation competitors but alternative make a MKR. A, surrounding entities that want to prop up a new interface that allow people to express their interests differently like do you think do you think that the maker dao governance portal is going to get sharded it's possible mm -hmm. um i can't think of immediately 
off the top of my head. If you if you're talking about sort of like an evolution mm-hmm. of of these things, what would the selection pressure be? Right. Meaning, mm-hmm. why what what's in it for me to do mm-hmm. to do something like that? Um, that's hard to to see where that might be, mm-hmm. but you could um, you could sort of see different. I mean, it's possible in the future that different factions within the MKR community could form. This would mm-hmm. be something like political parties, right? And in that case, those parties might mm-hmm. want to have a look and feel all, all to their own. Maybe a, a blue one and a red one, <laughs> or something like that. I don't know, but I think it is probably coming comes down to interest mm-hmm. and um if there's enough interest in one politi- in one group then they'll make their, t- their own tools because right. they'll want them distinct and separate otherwise it, it'll probably i i don't think so so what, one thing i'm worried about is like what happens if the make the maker foundation continues to be great custodians of maker governance mm-hmm. uh and they and which i would say that they have been uh and then in five years they are still great custodians of MKR governance. Like that's both good because they've been great custodians and we still have them and we're still using them as a crutch. What do you think that trajectory? Well, I like? wouldn't call it a crutch. I would call it an institution at that point. Mm-hmm. Right. And institutions are what they are. Right. Is uh, that what we want? Is that what we want? Well, if I can think about the institutions that we currently have, I have some issues with some, though I'm really glad they exist. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think the one that we all like to bash on quite a lot is the federal reserve. If it went away tomorrow, I think we'd all be a little, you know, maybe we would be fine, mm-hmm. right? Because we have a, a nice hedge against that. Mm-hmm. But I think largely... We as crypto people, it, not we as Americans. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the, but the, like, if you think about the institutions that we have around, um, you know, like... I expect that the fireman is going to come to my house if it's on fire. That's not always been the case. Mm-hmm. You know, the fire service and the police and first responders, those are institutions. Mm-hmm. Great institutions. Love those institutions. Can they be better? Yeah, they, they mm-hmm. can. If they have some means of you know, public input and accountability and you know, the things that we think of as good citizenship, I think if the foundation continues to have those things, could provide those things to its constituents for lack of a better word then yeah it's it's a it's a good institution to have and it will probably be different than the kind of institutions that we have now Mm -hmm. but in some ways it'll look the same so from what i hear the maker foundation has in its uh operating agreement i guess that it's shutting down in three years the the foundation itself yeah uh yeah um likely to when the uh either the that's probably when they assume the um the, the resources would run out I'm, mm, I'm guessing mm-hmm. so I mean I don't I don't have any idea of what would come after that but my guess would be that the foundation wouldn't just disappear without having right. some notion of what comes next mm-hmm. do you think they could turn into a for-profit sorry Christian like a for like a revenue generating entity that maybe is just this company that figured out how to monetize that that adds value and services to mkr holders yeah it's yeah it's certainly possible um but then if if the mkr foundation or the micro foundation or what's left of it or what it turns into something for profit Mm -hmm. then its motivations it it will be that so they should not be Mm -hmm. involved in governance Mm. um after that that's a good point In, in, in to any extent that a um self-interested party w- would be meaning right. if they were the ones that was going to be let's say controlling 
the interface and they could find advantage from it, then right. they would and they right. should because right. they're a for-profit right. company. But right. maybe maybe they're, the transition is, is something like um, instead of adding one more fee to, this, to the, the maker DAO, mm -hmm. which would be like taxes, mm -hmm. like a tax right. to support um, the institution of governance. Right. Because then, then we're just falling back to the same model that we have today. Pretty much. Which, again, like... We got like to shit on governments, but they also do things for us, and it's kind of nice. Right, and the problem, a lot of the problems I think we have with government governments, is you know it, they're they're very opaque, they're very large, mm -hmm. like actually large, and some of these things can be improved upon by software, but you know we're gonna have to keep experimenting with mechanisms. For sure, for sure. Kenny, do you think that? Or where, where do you think the Maker Foundation is right now in terms of resistance to government and regulation? And where do you think it needs to be in order to become an institution that is actually independent and can act solely in the benefit of Maker? Um, okay, so the question is, I think the question is making some assumptions that they want to be okay, that. Okay, sure. Do they um, want to be that? <laughs> so okay. I, I don't think so. I, I don't think they want to be completely independent. I don't think they want to be um, unregulated. I don't think mm -hmm. they want to be you know, resistant to outside influence. I think they want to integrate. Mm -hmm. I think they want to cooperate. I think they want to play nice. And I think they want to do that so that this stablecoin can make the biggest impact possible on a global stage. It's a massive, massive undertaking what's happening right now. And I think it's a little like we always had this idea when that that die could be used internationally. But what that really means, I mean, how many we're talking like trillions of die, right? Trillions and trillions of like amounts mm -hmm. of collateral. That is mind bogglingly large amounts of, right. of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. That that I don't think that happens without full buy-in. I mean, not right. not from us, but from like everybody, countries, everybody. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. How's that make you feel as a Bitcoiner, Christian? I mean, I'm popcorn. I don't know what's gonna happen. Like that. That's very interesting. Go go compliant. Go compliance. It sounds like uh, the the Libra model, but I don't know how well that worked for Libra. No, it does. Mm. Uh, well, th th it's interesting that you bring that up, right? Because that's that's um, I see a lot of inspiration in Libra from from, yeah, from down to the point where Maker used to be talking about using the standard drawing right from the IMF, which is a basket of international currencies, to peg die to, or at least reference. That would be the stability reference, mm -hmm. and that moved away from that in terms of something more relatable, the dollar. But Libra is getting, they're going full SDR. Right. They're making their own SDR sort of thing, but I, I think um, I think Christian though the the um, the criticism is absolutely valid. That hey, look, go go for it. If you want to integrate, that's awesome. But guess what? You're going to have to do that 198 times over again, and, and we'll see how that works out, right? So the, the threading the needle there, yeah, I think it's going to be tough, and they're going to have to hold the line someplace. They are. They're actually going to have to do that. Maybe that's a better question is, okay, if you really want to be a world currency, what compromises can you make mm -hmm. and which ones can you not make? Because it's, it's really, mm -hmm. you have to do both perfectly. 
Um, and I think if you're talking about where do you not compromise, well, it, the lower the level, the better, probably. So if we're talking about CDPs, if we're talking about die ownership, if we're talking about um, cryptographic primitives, meaning no backdoors, that kind of thing, I don't think you can you cannot compromise there. And I don't think anyone who's in the MKR MakerDAO ecosystem would disagree with that. Yeah, and but at the higher level, hey, if you get like one jurisdiction here, but you don't get one over there, but you know it's a permissionless ledger everywhere, so it's kind of hard to stop. So you've almost got some benefit of regulation, um, in the sense of well, if it's legal in the United States and Western Europe, and you can get it in China, even if it's illegal, mm -hmm. people might just figure out a way to use it if it's useful. You're talking about die? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or I mean, just because, right. or, or if you're talking, but at the highest level, I think die is probably you have to you have to put a line in the sand. Mm -hmm. With regula with respect to regulation, um, maybe not. Maybe that's too harsh of a word, but that's that's where you have to make it as light touch as possible, mm -hmm. and then maybe somewhere in the middle is where you where you make compromises. Do you think that a currency like Ether or a currency like BTC could proliferate without this kind of cooperation with governments? It sounds like you think that that's necessary for Dai. Um, yeah. Uh, it already has. I, I don't think there's any question that it has already done that. What I don't think Ether and Bitcoin are is very good mediums of exchange. Mm -hmm. It's possible that after they get through the, their adoption phase and S-curve that the price would stabilize. And if it does, fantastic. I would love that. Uh, I don't know if that's true, though. Yeah. I would agree. It wouldn't, it wouldn't stabilize to the point that we're used to transacting with currencies. Um, but I think what Christian's asking is, so we've, we've, seen, we've seen Ether and grow to $25 billion market cap, which means that we could, if we wanted to use all of our Ether for DAI, we could get a 15 so billion dollars worth of DAI, yeah. and then we'd have no Ether left over for anything else. Right. Um, then ether price would go up and then we would have more market cap but that's separate um i think christian's what, what christian is asking is is if we want that trillion die or two trillion die can we depend on ether as the oh. asset to do that because we want to keep it totally crypto native and totally oh, crypto -native? Is, that, is that what you were talking about christian that's that's not my question oh, okay. but uh i think that's that also an interesting mm -hmm. question mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um yeah, I mean, my question is just more about like, like, why do you think that the Maker Foundation has to do that? Because um, we've already seen other assets kind of mm -hmm. uh, go mainstream. Even Litecoin, you can yeah. even make an argument for, um, although it's definitely a shitcoin. Um, <laughs> shitcoin. Like, why does Dai need to, you know, bend the knee like this? Why does it need to do that? Yeah. That's my question. Yeah, you know, I actually, um, that's, that's okay, I, I get that question. And maybe because I have been kind of defending, it may seem like that is also my my opinion. Where I, I, I don't know that that is necessarily true. I think it's definitely easier if you compromise, mm -hmm. right? Which is kind of what compromise is. Um, I do, I would prefer myself a fully decentralized stablecoin for sure mm -hmm. that that didn't make compromises and if it didn't go global that's okay are you including the assets that make up the stablecoin fully decentralized are you uh, also i'm not even talking not even i don't even that. care if it's necessarily a collateralized stable okay coin. ah just just don't have one stablecoin that works please yeah yeah <laughs> 
Um, I think it's more beneficial to have um, a stable coin I, in, a, in a perfect universe. Yeah, our stable coin would would um, would not make any of those trade offs. Can we talk about Tether? But I think it's easier. Sure, we can. Yeah, yes. I mean, <laughs> so my take on Tether is that it's obviously centralized, but at the same time, the central entity is doing its best to not be compliant. So that's kind of like a, a means to an end. Um, what's your take on Tether generally, and do you think that Tether can be that medium to short-term stablecoin? Well, I, I don't think it might be fair to say they're doing everything they can to be non-compliant, because they're doing everything they can to stay under the radar. Mm-hmm. Because you can't be non-compliant if you're holding USD. That's just not an option. Your bank account can and will be frozen. Like That's what a USD is. That's why we don't like some of these fiat systems is because they're draconian mm-hmm. right they don't need a reason to shut down your bank account um, or i should say it's very easy for them to do it maybe it gets more difficult in some of the specific jurisdictions that you know um tether is in which but i think more more than anything yeah they're they're trying to um they're trying to avoid attention which is not a bad strategy i i don't disagree with that but not neither are they um you know they, they're not doing something like Hey, we're acquiring all U.S. dollars such that we can destroy the U.S. monetary system. They're not doing that kind of mm-hmm. thing. They're like, we just want a stable peg to so people can trade. It's mm-hmm. fine. It's we got them. We had some audits. It's, it's good. Our interest payments. Yeah. Um, you know, we're not doing anything weird over here. It's 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 basic. Mm-hmm. It's PayPal, except we're you know trading crypto kitties or whatever. <laughs> it's uh, I think Tether though as a as a means. I don't know so. So the last part of the question is, is that possibly a stepping stone to something better? Sure. I mean, like, I guess I would love to get your take in general on Tether um, beyond what you just said. I think in principle, of course it works, right? If you have all the bank, uh, if you have the dollars in your bank account, that's, that's great. That's, yeah. But are you sure? <sighs> I, I mean, I can't see it. I don't know. Um, it, the incentive there is that... You know, they're probably going to want to do something with that. They don't want to just make it sit. They want to make it work. And then mm-hmm. that case, well, maybe how about this? I'm always, I've always been really disillusioned with, with Tether in, in, in this one respect. I cannot take Tether and give it to, who, who issues Tethers? Uh, is it Bit, bit something, right? Bit yeah. Mix or Bit iPhone X. Right, right, right. I can't give right. them my Tether and you they won't dollars. send me dollars. Right. If mm-hmm. if there was that little honesty provision in there where there mm-hmm. could be some that would be cool yeah that would be actually I but, think that would be but there are exchanges that let you do that sure <laughs> um, I guess so still feels weird yeah still feels weird yeah that's actually not they're not they're not redeeming them they're exchanging them right meaning right. they're buying them mm-hmm. right so it's a it's a, they're still it's there's still a spot price I guess right it's not like oh yeah right because that's the difference between exchange one for one. There's no price difference. Mm-hmm. It's that's what it's that's what it's worth. Right. So if I went to the exchange and said I have one tether, give me one dollar, they'll say actually it's a it's ninety nine yeah cents because right. uh-huh. they're buying it. Right, and it protects tether from being getting a run on the bank too. Yeah, mm-hmm. which is why they have to do it. But right. I think if they had that, um, it would be more <laughs> at least traditional, mm-hmm. more understandable. One thing I want to talk about, uh, kind of bringing it back to to DAOs. Um, so we have this thing that's autonomous and we call it a DAO mm-hmm. and 
we it, I think autonomy is kind of up for debate, especially with MakerDAO, right? Because what is exactly autonomous about MakerDAO? Uh, we have the stability fee that needs to constantly be reset, or or else the system will fall apart. Mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, we have other things like if we're going to add assets, basically any time MKR votes, that is something that's not autonomous. But at the same time, you could also say that it's it's supposed to be autonomous because if you have MKR you also have the incentive to go and vote. And so it kind of depends on like whether you bring in incentives into the definition of autonomy. If you have a bunch of human subjective players, like Uniswap, I would say, is a fully functioning DAO. It's an application on the blockchain that just operates. No human input. MakerDAO is kind of a DAO, but you have to also add in the human incentive to do the behavior that you think that you're going to get. Um, where do you see the world of DAOs and kind of where do you draw the line between what's a DAO and what's what's a normal organization? Uh, I, you know, maybe our maybe our, our our labels aren't helping us here, mm -hmm. right? So I, I don't think decentralized autonomous organization is a definition, right? Yeah. Um, it is a label mm -hmm. that you know. Maybe we talk about decentralization. Maybe we talk about autonomy. Maybe we talk about organization separately, but maybe something else entirely kind of has those characteristics that we're looking for when it mm -hmm. comes to something that's not quite a existing institution that we're familiar with but mm -hmm. sort of lives on the internet and does interesting things uh i'm not sure really mm -hmm. what the definition of a DAO is or if there's one or if there's one uh -huh. but the ones that i think are most likely mm -hmm. are things like all of bitcoin right all of ethereum right uh -huh. these large networks that people are making individual decisions and they have sort of emergent properties. I think actually a better way to think about DAOs is, is more from an organi organism perspective. Mm -hmm. Can it survive on its own? Right. Is it right. taking in resources? Is it metabolizing? Is it <laughs> producing waste? Like that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And how, how well it does that from its constituent parts might be a, a qualification of how good or bad a DAO is. Mm -hmm. But that it is one, I'm not sure if we're going to be able to, even in, even in the natural world, like, is a virus an organism? Mm. Well, kind of is, kind of mm -hmm. not. Yeah. Right? right. So um, I think the example you gave is Uniswap. That might actually be more like a virus than anything else that we're talking about, right? Because they're very atomic. Mm. They're very autonomous, right? right? They do their thing and that's it. There's really no agency involved. Mm -hmm. Whereas once you start scaling up into other types of life forms, it gets a bit more complicated. And then once you say, well, you seem to be an organism, but you're made up of little organisms too. So are you a big organism or a little one? Right, right, right. So it's the same kind of idea. Um, what I'd like to see from these sort of, let's call them, there's this kind of a different class of things, meaning there's a group of, of projects and or things that create little bits of code that run autonomously. Mm -hmm. Nobody's going to stop them from right. running. So that's the sort of autonomous bit. And then they're decentralized, usually meaning their people are spread out geographically. Mm -hmm. Now, the organization bit is where it gets a little less, you know, because do you mean decentralized organizationally or spatially? Or mm -hmm. do you mean it's hierarchical or do you mean it's flat? So the organization mm -hmm. of the DIO is actually where I think the most misconception is. Um, the autonomy, you get that from software, I think. Um, you also get a lot of that decentralization from software, but I mean specifically just distribution more than necessarily decentral 
but they, 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 those, these two terms get mixed a lot. I don't think we've come up with a really novel um, organizational structure yet. Mm-hmm. I'd love to see that. I'm really interested in that topic. Other than sort of these large things writ large like Bitcoin and Ethereum. So when you're talking about something smaller process oriented, like a, uh, a, a like something like a company, mm-hmm. so the things that like Aragon is putting out into the world on a daily basis, I think those have special properties, but they're mostly like the things that we have now. Right, right, right. They're very, much more efficient mm-hmm. because they can do their their books, you know, without any other system. Mm-hmm. They can value transfer a lot quicker. They can make decisions faster. They can collaborate easier. With, given certain things, right? So they, they have, I think, advantages. Mm-hmm. Now, will that going to give them an advantage to outcompete, potentially? Mm-hmm. Maybe that uh, competition pushes them towards a structure, an organizational structure that's also different, but maybe not. Maybe we're going to see a thousand dictatorships. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Because, you know, small hierarchies work pretty well, for the most part. Right. And I'd rather have lots of little hierarchies than one big one. Mm-hmm. Um, it's such a it, I, yeah I don't know I like the topic but or I like the the idea but I'm not sure we've seen something truly inspirational yet is is the DAO the wrong name should we need we need a different name for this mm, well I mean you can but I'd, I'd probably just criticize that one too <laughs> <laughs> I don't know it, it, I guess it's sort of like I'll know it when I see it right 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 right, right. Yeah. well because I've always opened up the version, the word, the definition of DAO to mean some of these applications that we haven't really appended them to. Like, I think if Compound was actually called called Compound DAO, we would be calling it Compound DAO and we wouldn't have thought twice about it. And especially, well, especially when they plug that back door that they have, well, then it really does live autonomously on the blockchain. And also with the caveat that they need to get the interest balance right. But then it's this application that is, is its own organization of people who come and submit collaterals and borrow stuff. And it's decentralized because I think the, the right way to view decentralized is there's no single point of failure. And so once Compound is in the form that it promises to be, then it's a DAO. It's this mini DAO inside of the larger DAO that is Ethereum. And Ethereum I've always kind of modeled as like a body of cells mm-hmm. and it's, grow, it's, a, it's a organism that grows cells, which are its applications, which hopefully the cells are also DAOs because then those DAOs can also grow cells. And then we have something like a human structure, not a human structure, but a, a biological structure. Yeah. It'd have to be, it, yeah. It, my, my understanding of what these things could be would have to be something like mm-hmm. some biological metaphor. Meaning mm-hmm. if, um, I, I kind of think that if all the people either slowly transition out who started the thing and it's mm-hmm. still going, then that's, you know, sort of, and it doesn't get sort of, and it doesn't die. Right. <laughs> then, then, yeah. I guess on that note, like, what do you think about the Joe Lubins, the Vitalics, the Vlads? Like, do you think that they need a transition out at some point for Ethereum mm-hmm. to take that next step? Well, Vlad never answers my phone calls anyway. <laughs> so. All right, one down. <laughs> no, I think, um, I think there are always going to be folks like that. History is full of people and opportunity, and, and those teams... Two things tend to kind of match each other. Um, I don't think that those those folks are... I think that you need inspiration and leadership and um, 
people coming at the very beginning to make things sort of work. I think it's particularly interesting the the Bitcoin mythos or you know the 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 the, the, the origin story that is particularly strong, right? Mm-hmm. In the sense of you have mystery and mm-hmm. sort of like this crazy genius and all the stuff like that. I think is actually more powerful than um, having like a Vitalik, but you know, you don't get the benefit of continued leadership, but also you don't get the burden of continued leadership. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So and part of it's like timing, right? Like at some point Vitalik will have to step away from Ethereum either because he dies of old age or because he got bored and wanted to do something else. Mm-hmm. Um, and he should. Right. Uh, I would say that now is too soon. We could still use him. When ETH 2.0 is up and chugging along, and we haven't really, the, the number of EIPs that we've been introducing to Ethereum has gone down and down and down, and the changes that we're making are smaller and smaller and smaller. Sometime around then, or even before that, he could step away, and that would be the optimum time for him to step away. Mm-hmm. Not that I even want him to do that, because like, as a, an Ethereum stakeholder, I will never tell Vitalik, like, hey, it's time to be hands-off. Because this is his baby, and he has the most to contribute. So it's always, it's always going to be that relationship. Um, it's just, I think it's really more relevant is, like, is Vitalik ever going to try and capture Ethereum and make it do what he wants? Which he might. I, I don't think he'll ever do, It'd nor be hard. will he be able to. Um, but you could also bring it back to some sort of biological metaphor. Mm-hmm. You know, we do need parents when we're young, mm-hmm. and then we grow up. And then mm-hmm. we leave and we mm-hmm. do our own thing. So if these things are truly something like an organism, mm-hmm. yeah, they will need, you know, they will need parents. And mm-hmm. then they, you know, maybe, maybe Bitcoin is the, is the proto parent <laughs> of, well, I mean, it is, right? Of course right. it is. Absolutely. It yeah. absolutely is. It's the parent. Or of at least it's the atom. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and we don't know who began that. And maybe that's a good thing. Yeah. Using that metaphor, how old is Ethereum in human years? Oh, like where is it in its development yeah, cycle? Uh-huh. Well, considering it's gone through some tough... Well, actually, you know, I think um, the most dangerous point of human existence, like, used to be, I mean, maybe not quite now, but it's like at birth. Right. There's a high mortality rate uh-huh. throughout human history, sure. let's call it that, right. and, and, and early infancy. So that early infancy, if you do not die, you've got a pretty good shot. Right. But we, we talk about infant mortality as being like less than five years or something right. like that. Uh-huh. So I don't think we're, I mean, we're not, um, I don't think we're necessarily like an adolescent yet right. in, in terms of crypto. I think Bitcoin absolutely is. Right. Bitcoin is, if Bitcoin was left to its own devices on the street, it would kill yeah. something and eat it and survive. <laughs> but if, if Ethereum was, you know, it would need some help from other Bitcoins. Like right. It would need some help probably uh-huh. to, to survive. Right. Um, it probably doesn't need its parents. Mm-hmm. So it's probably, you know, hmm. yeah, it's probably like a five or 10 year old, something like it's that. It's an interesting way to triangulate it. Potentially could survive mm-hmm. with help, yeah. but doesn't necessarily have to be. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And which is a good metaphor for why we have no interest in removing our leadership. Because yeah, it wouldn't be so good for us. Yeah, it wouldn't be so good. <laughs> okay, thanks for coming on, man. This is very insightful. I learned a lot. Thanks. Yeah, Kenny, if people want to uh, reach out to you, get in touch with you, find out more about you, where should they go? Uh, probably the best place is Twitter, and you can just find me at Kenny Rowe, K-E-N-N-Y-R-O-W-E. Cool. Do you have any requests for our listeners? 
subscribe, hit the like button, <laughs> leave a review. Oh, that's our request. It's true. <laughs> like, funny enough how that works. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. You can follow the podcast at POV Crypto Pod. You can follow me at Trustless State, both on Twitter and on Medium. Christian. Yeah, and since Kenny did my job for me, I'll just stick to me. You can find me on Twitter <laughs> at CK underscore Snarks. You can also start paying attention to Bitcoin 2020 conference. Uh, it is rearing its head over uh, March at the end of the month in San Francisco. Uh, Bitcoin 2019 was an awesome event. Da- uh, David was there, uh, partook in all of the Bitcoiner festivities. Uh, and I hope you'll be there again. And I hope that all of y'all will be too. Uh, I will be showing a discount link here shortly. Right, thanks, Kenny. Thank you. Cheers. Bye.